You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. I'm going to start right off the bat in Matthew 24. And you can just listen, you can follow along in Matthew 24 if you'd like, but I cannot tell you how thankful I am that we are part of a church that goes verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. And often I think when, when I get the opportunity to come in and speak on different things in scripture, it's so important to me that you gals are in the scriptures in depth with our pastor at church and, and seeing that full context. You know, he, he spoke a few weeks ago about being careful of, you don't wanna just take a section and make it like apply to your life. That is bad, bad uh, Bible interpretation. That's not the way that we study scripture. And so it's, it's such an honor really to be able to, to look at scriptures and we can look at smaller sections knowing that you ladies are following along with us as a church and going through them exhaustively. So I really, really love that. But I wanna just read a little section of Matthew 24 that we would have read a few, I don't know, time goes so fast. When, when was Matthew 24? But Pastor Brett spent about a month on this chapter and I just really enjoyed this. But some of this just rings very true for today. So in Matthew 24, starting in verse three, it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be that what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, for the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains." You read that, and, and, and Jesus is, he's telling us, this is all that's gonna happen. Isn't it, how comforting is it that all of the crazy that we see, it's not like he, he was shocked. He was like, oh, I didn't know it was gonna get that bad this year. We read those words and we go, oh, it's hard to go, but I, I feel a little alarmed. I feel a little nervous for what I'm seeing, you know? But he says, not yet. It's the beginning of birth pains. What a great thing. I always feel bad when Pastor Brett has to talk about like, you know, birth pains and the travails of labor, you know, because it's a guy audience. It probably is a guy. He's probably like, yeah, I'm sure that's really bad. And, and it, it is an extremely appropriate example, right? And, and any of us in the room that have had kiddos or have been in the room when, you know, with a sister or someone who's giving birth, you're like, oh, yeah. But it is a really accurate picture. But this passage here reminds us the beginning of birth pains. I just needed that perspective. I'm so thankful that we are where we are in scriptures, that we have been studying this, that we are part of a church that really studies these things because I think we are in a place where we're not hopefully quite as freaked out. The rest of the world's pretty freaked out right now. And a lot of churches that don't study the scriptures in totality, they're kind of freaked out right now because it's kind of been a lot in the last few weeks. And I have felt this sense of like, I, I remember when uh, several years, well, it wasn't several, but was it? I don't know, 2020 seems like a lifetime ago. But remember that moment when you felt like when the whole world was kind of changing and you all of a sudden just kind of had these moments of going, wow, that happened really, really fast. And we're like 
it, we're shut down and what's going on. And I, I had that sense in the last, last week or so, like everything feels just a little bit different. Everything feels like, every headline feels like, you know those crazy memes you say where the, where the guy's like looking out on the street going, what page of Revelation are we facing today? We feel like that a lot. But again, come back to Jesus' words in Matthew 24. These are the beginning of birth pains. Don't be alarmed. But it's made me look at things and be kind of that, that like, okay, now what? What is, what is the next? So this may seem like a little bit of a switch and you're like, wow, Ian, that seems a little academic for where we're going. But I, really, I wanna talk about something very briefly on worldview first, before we get into this too much. Because our worldview is how we look at everything that we see, right? And, and we've discussed this in other uh, devoted lives before. And so I'm not gonna go into it too much, but I wanna give us a little bit of a reminder and a crash course. Because how you see your world, do you see it through the lens of Matthew 24? Or do you see it through the lens of CNN or Instagram or how you were raised or whatever? Any of those things, they all affect how you see the world. So I wanna give us just a reminder, a little crash course on worldview because it matters and it directs our daily decisions every single day. So when we think about worldview, there's three things that our worldview is gonna, it's gonna ask some questions that we have to have an answer to. And the first one is, where do you come from? The second one is, what's gone wrong? Okay, doesn't look so good. And the third thing is, how do you fix it? That's what worldview does. It asks those three questions. Where do you come from? What's going wrong? And how do we fix all of these things? For us as Christians, we have a couple really obvious answers. Should be pretty obvious. That's why I'm gonna go through these kind of quickly because this is not gonna be new information from you. But where do we come from? That's gonna be creation, right? What went wrong? The fall. Yeah. How do we fix it? Redemption. That's the good news. This is called looking at when you answer these questions according to your worldview, we want to look at it biblically on what would that look like. So when we talk about creation, we're gonna say we go all the way back to the beginning. Who, where did we come from? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very first verse, most of us have, have, that have ever opened a Bible have got that one. So creation, where did we come from? We came from God, our creator. The second one, the fall, all of Genesis 3, but just to highlight one verse, you guys are very familiar with this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Here we have the, you know, the brutal verse where we hear of our rebellion, really. That's what it is. Our rebellion, our disobedience to the Lord and this is where everything starts going wrong. And then the rest of scripture gets to tell us the things that we, how we fix this. And that's where we get to redemption. How do we fix it? As Christians with a biblical worldview, Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So as a believer, as someone who follows Jesus, who looks to his word to answer the questions of how do we view our world we're going to look to scripture, and these are just a few of the anchor scriptures, perhaps, that would point to you where, what, what view we should have. How, what's the lens that we look at to do it? How, do, where do we come from? What went wrong? And how do we fix it? So the thing that's different, and why I say, you know, us as Christians, this is how we view it, but if you have, are not a believer, if someone who is an atheist, they're going to be answering those same questions. They're gonna ask, their worldview, it still affects, where do we come from, what went wrong, and how do we fix it? Their answers are just very different. 
an atheist might say, where do we come from? Well, they're gonna, they dispel all the supernatural. So they're gonna say it's all naturalism, that, it's, that their answer is gonna be science, reason, evolution, that must be the thing. When they think of what went wrong, well, that's where things get a little muddy in their world because everything's kind of relative. Because what's wrong for you doesn't have to be wrong for the other person because they don't have an absolute moral compass. They don't have the word of God that they're, they're registering that to. Now, you obviously, if you dig into that worldview very much, you can obviously see the discrepancies in there because you can't, there's no way to rationalize certain things that have gone wrong with just like, well, I guess, I mean, because everybody knows murder's wrong. Everyone. Why do you know it's wrong? If you don't believe in any kind of moral, like absolute that this is wrong and you're measuring that against God, against a, a truth, then you could be like, well, I don't know, just, just whatever. But everybody knows it's wrong to murder someone. That's why I'm saying that whole relative argument with moralism doesn't really work out. But that was, would be what they say. How do we fix it? Would they would look at the world and see how everything's a mess. They would just kind of go to the, we die. We, we just cease to exist and there is nothing. It's kind of a depressing worldview. Now, just to give you an example of how we would take our worldview and then maybe a question that would be asked. Oh, I skipped a verse. I'm sorry. That's an important redemption verse right there. John 3, 16. But when you come to your worldview, this one where we say we are basically good, this is a view that people have and they say we are basically good. As Christians, we would go, okay, well, let's measure it against the word of God. Is it true? So we go to God's word, Ephesians 2, 3, says among whom, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Kind of, I mean, it includes even everyone. It's not even... It's leaving no ambiguity at all. We're children of wrath. So the whole basically good thing, according to the Bible, is not really gonna work out. Other things that we view your worldview through, like people will go, okay, well, why is there crime? Where did that come from? Come from? That's where we would ask that question, what went wrong, right? If you come from a worldview that is not biblical, you'll might view that as like, well, crime as a result of uh, the more of, what the economic forces are or how someone is socially been oppressed within their society, that is what causes crime. But we know that the Bible says it's our sin, right? It's, it's the choices that we individually make. So there's all kinds of worldview questions that we keep asking. And, and, and while I hope that doesn't just sound super, super boring, it's one of these things that worldview is just kind of everywhere. And if you ignore it, then you're not paying attention to the differences that someone might be coming from. For example, when we're watching the news right now and we're trying for the life of us to get our head around how someone, in a, a, to any human being actually, but how terrorists are able to commit the crimes and do the things, the atrocities that they're able to do, it is a question of how they view the world. Their worldview is very different. They have a worldview that supports death, not a worldview that supports life. So worldview is just kind of this lens, it's kind of in the background of everything that we do. But if you're, if you're like me, we feel a little bit isolated right now because what used to just be in the 90s and 80s when there was kind of this conversation about a clash of worldviews, atheists, different worldview than, than what we have as Christians. And there was this kind of a cultural clash of worldviews. But now it's, what used to be a clash is now turning into the extinction of one worldview. So I wanna show you these stats. This is from a American worldview inventory from 2020. And I'm just gonna give you a couple of these, but it tells us that 6% of all American adults have a biblical worldview. Six, 
Wow. Among 18 to 29 year olds, the number drops to 2%. 2% of 18 to 29 year olds. This, this age group, um, probably because I got some kiddos within that age group, I have a heart for this age group that, ha- that kind of looks at the world a little bit more apathetically. Kind of looks at it as like, eh, I don't know. 2% of that age group they report has a worldview, a biblical worldview. 21% of those attending evangelical Protestant churches, okay, that would be us, right? Evangelical Protestant churches, churches that are hopefully going through the Bible, right? That is those that have a biblical worldview of Protestant evangelical churches. And finally, 8% of mainline Protestant churches. So the churches that maybe they're kind of Christian, they're kind of church, 8% of those. So, yep, I know, it's depressing, I get it. But the reason I'm showing you that is because I wanna show us why you and I feel so at odds with the world around us. Because we are so a minority, right? We are a huge minority. I didn't, ra- I, wa- I didn't grow up, and probably many of you didn't either, unless you're in that 18 to 29-year-old group, didn't grow up in an age where that was as true. We were not that much of the minority. But that's, that's the reality. So a biblical worldview is gonna help us to know, understand what is true, and then live according to that truth. And I think it's an important thing for us to be aware of as Christians, because scripture cares about truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. It's a short verse. Everybody can memorize it. Truth matters. We have to recognize and value truth. It is not relative. It is not, no, there is a truth. There is a right. There is a wrong. And it's so important that our eternal implications are with it, right? John 14, six, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there we go, even thinking about how we, how we fix it, our redemption, pointing towards Jesus. It says he's the only way. There aren't, it's not a multiple choice question. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we have got to realize as we view our world through a biblical worldview that there is good, there is truth, There is lie, there's evil. If you believe that whole crazy worldview I was telling you about, about man is basically good, which is unbiblical, you can kind of choose to accept whether you think evil is what the next person says is evil. Maybe that's not as evil. Like I actually think through that when I watch some of these protesters and people when they challenge them and say, how can you defend what is happening in the Middle East and how can you defend what, they kind of won't they won't just call it out and say, oh yeah, that's just, that's just evil. They won't do that. How come? Why? How is that possible? It's their worldview affecting that. It is an unbiblical and it's a choice to look at something and say, I can accept that as evil or not. Whether it's weird or not, I enjoy reading World War II fiction. Without a doubt, it is my absolute favorite genre to read, okay? I don't know exactly what that is. I, I know I'm not alone in here. Maybe you guys could Help me figure out why, why do we like to do that? But I actually think it's really important for us to read about that stuff. Not because we need to wanna wallow in all of the horrors and all of the terrible things that have happened throughout history, but it helps you to recognize it. It helps you to see it. And I, and I do wonder if sometimes in our day where maybe whether it's the oversaturation of movies or video games or different things that have made different types of violence and different things, they've kind of normalized it if it feels as weird. I've thought a lot about this World War II thing lately because 
if, if we had had the things that have taken place in the Middle East, if we, if we had had phones and that's kind of stuff back at the Holocaust, I think it, it would have felt very similar because I think we're seeing, we're actually seeing in 3D, in color, okay? Back in those days, it would have been, had to have been black and white even. We're seeing in color very, very vividly and instantly when things happen, what that, what that evil looks like. And it's, it's a little abrasive to our society because I kind of think sometimes we want to live in that worldview that says, well, people aren't really that bad. Evil's not really that, like, come on, evil. That sounds very archaic. I read the headline of an article this week that said, Mordor exists. Do you guys know what Mordor is? Anyone read Lord of the Rings? And uh, which, you know, I, I, the images that always stick with me with the Lord of the Rings are the movies. And I always kind of look away because like, okay, those orc looking things are really the grossest, scariest things ever, okay? I don't, I don't particularly enjoy watching Helm's Deep and all of those things because they just are awful. But I actually think that we, just like we want to actually know what happens in World War II, it's important for us to know and maybe even have a visual of a really, really gross orc, uh, that Mordor, that evil exists. It is very real. And, and maybe that sounds like, okay, you're, you're over saying something that, we, that seems obvious, but as I just stated, for some other people, it's not very obvious that evil exists. So for us, with that biblical worldview, we want to come at things and go, oh, 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 truth is important. We must value truth. We have to value the fact that there is evil and recognize it. Because we want to come to that worldview question of number three, how do we fix it, which is redemption, which is the answer to all of it. John 17 goes on a little bit later, or actually uh, just before the verse we just read. And he says this, he says, I do not, Jesus said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Jesus is praying this to the Father, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now we talked about this in the prayer study because there is, Jesus is not saying that we should necessarily be recognized from all the horrible, awful things that happen around us. He's saying you're gonna be in this. But he wanted us to be, he wanted us to be saved from the evil one, which is John 15, abiding in him. And you can get into that in earlier chapters. But he said we would be in the world. You know, as we look at the Jewish people, they have faced over through history the dis displacement and their own sense of this is most definitely not my home. Like they keep feeling that all the time, right? They even didn't have homes for a long time. And then they ended up finally getting a homeland in, in 1948. So they often feel like there's not their, this is not their home. Christians, this is not our home. And, and we need to have that same view that yes, we are in the world, but you're gonna feel a little strange. Maybe those statistics, that 6%, that 8%, maybe that we all along should have known, yep, you're gonna feel a little outside of what the rest of your world is going to do. In the Old Testament, you see passages where the, um, the stories where Jeremiah and the, and the prophets are talking about to the exiles, right? And the exiles were the group of Jewish people that after they had been taken by either the Assyrians of your Israel or the, the Babylonians, they were taken into captivity and then they were taken to live in Babylon and be in exile. I sometimes think of us sort of in that same type of way where this is just not our home. We are living in a place that, in a culture, in a world, that there's, there's evil and there's things that we are not to be taking part of, but Jesus said we're gonna be in it. 
But the Jewish people experienced that same thing. But Jeremiah gives the people, God through Jeremiah, gives the people some instructions of what they're supposed to do when they're living in that situation, when they're living in their exile. It's in Jeremiah 29, four through seven. And it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all of the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then here's his like list of instructions. He says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters and take wives to your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is interesting looking to this side by side with John 17, looking at how we are in this world, we're here. What are you supposed to do? See, the thing is that for sometimes us as Christians, we have a tendency to just wanna stay in our fishbowl. And, and you know, we, we like all the other little fishes and we all swim in the same direction. And, it's, and that's not to say that's a bad thing, right? We want to be and we should be in fellowship with other believers and we should be encouraging each other and, you know, catching the, the drift as we're helping each other swim along. We should. But we have other places in scripture that tell us don't just stay in your fishbowl. We are, we are supposed to increase. It's a, it says don't decrease, don't, don't just, you know, lay low, but actually seek the welfare of your city. Seek the welfare of this culture. Sometimes I'm, I'll, be, I'll, I'm, I'll be with you on that one, just going, I'd rather not. <laughs> I'm good. That's not what scripture tells us to do, though. It says to pray for those, the, the culture in the world that we live in, that we're not supposed to just, just sit here and take care of our own, but we need to be seeking the welfare of those around us especially those that are lost and hurt. In Ezekiel, he says this as he's, as he's looking at the sins of Israel and where they're at. And he makes an interesting statement and he says, and you son of man say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way. But with the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? How then do we live? There's all the evil, there's all the dark, there's all the yuck. And Ezekiel is observing this, the people are saying this. Okay, what now? How do we live right now? So this phrase caught me this week. Today we were supposed to talk about something totally different. That's always fun when that happens. It was all typed up, ready to go, guys. Yep, sure was. And uh, I, I, I was, it was Wednesday morning after our prayer study, and I was laying in bed, and I was, I was praying even before I wake, opened my eyes. And this phrase came to my mind. Now, at the time, I wasn't registering that this was from Ezekiel. I was remembering a book from the 1990s, early 2000s, that was called How Now Shall We Live? And it was a book about biblical worldview. But I was like, why is that coming up? But I realized that what the Lord was showing me is that everything that's kind of happened, it feels like you're sort of watching the, the ground fall from under you, it can feel that way. That's why, go back to Matthew 24, don't freak out. But the question is, how now should we live? Now, this is what we've seen. 
This is what we're, you're gonna check your news headlines for the rest of the day and it's going to continue to feel like another page in Revelation. How now should you live? How can we be practically, effectively living in this world that we are called to be in? We don't get to go home yet. This is it. So what do we do with this right now? And so there's a couple things that I wanna look at our own biblical worldview when we view where we're at today. How should we live right now? And there's four things that I want us to look at. The first one is that we should live carefully. Carefully. Probably every devoted life, I repeat this verse. You guys all have it memorized by now. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Well, after these last few weeks, you're definitely checking that evil box. You're like, yep. Days are evil. But that first phrase, carefully, what does that look like? That's when we get to come back to our biblical worldview. We get to look at the Bible and say, what does it mean for us to live carefully as Christians? What, what, is, what are the scriptures telling us? What is Paul telling us? Now, as he goes on in Ephesians, Paul gets a little practical and he gives a little list, kind of like what Jeremiah did. And he says at the verse 17, of chapter five, he says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This comes right after the passage we just read. Therefore do not be foolish. You always kind of love it when it's just like, you know, we weren't allowed to say the S word, which is, was stupid in our house, you know. Um, I, I remember when Evan came home and he was so upset one time that he kept hearing a bad word at the playground. And over and over, he's like, mom, they just kept saying it. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really bad. And I'm like, honey, what did they say? Stupid. So we talked about that. Sometimes scripture is saying, don't be stupid. Don't. And the scripture's word for it, they use the word foolish. So I know we read it all the time in the Proverbs and things like that, but I just want to highlight what the word foolish means here. Devoid of wisdom or good sense or sound judgment. It's just a nice Bible way of saying, don't be dumb. Don't be stupid. Okay. So he starts Ephesians 5, 17, just with that. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes on with kind of a little bit of a practical list. Remember, we're still talking about like what they're talking about, about living carefully. And he has his list. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. Sometimes I, I'm a bullet person. Like if I have a journal or a checklist, I like to just write bullets. Sometimes I take scriptures like this and I wanna write a, I wanna write a list. I like my checklist. But if you think about when he's talking about how we are, he started that passage with saying, live carefully. And then he said, don't be stupid. He says, then don't do this. This is like, then kind of like filling in the gaps of like, here's what I mean by not being dumb, okay? Don't get drunk, be filled with the spirit. And then he also, do you notice how many positive things he says about what you can do instead of what you shouldn't do? You know, he's, he's saying, address each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. He says to be thankful. And then that last one, submitting to one to another. Man, just respecting one another, preferring one another. It's a very practical list. So when we think about how now shall we live, it gets even more information when we get down to Colossians. And he says, see that no one takes you captive 
by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. How now should we live carefully? Can I just highlight this verse when we think about all the things that we're going to see that we need to be careful that we're not deceived, that we're not falling for all of the crazy information from every source and, and just believing anything. Do not be taken captive by philosophy or empty deceit. This one, I think, is gonna get real practical for us, right? Because we are going to see so much in this particular how now moment that we're in because we've never really seen a war quite like this where we, we could almost call it in the age of social media. We, we didn't have that. We didn't have you know, Instagram with Hitler and you couldn't see Auschwitz. You couldn't do that. We can do that now. So you're going to see things all the time. And you know, just like probably, I bet a third of us, if you have a social media account, at some point you've been hacked on social media, right? You've, you've, somebody has cloned your account, they've made it look like your name, they have your picture and everything, and you're like, but that's not me. They're gonna do that. There's lots of that happening right now where it looks like it's coming from an authoritative source and the picture's the same and it's all that, but it's not. It's all fake. Gotta be really discerning. And one of these things that's gonna be is that, you know, when scripture tells us to be slow to speak, slow to be angry, but be quick to hear. I think, if anything, the real practical thing that we can hear in living carefully right now is to when you see something, when you hear something in the news, take a sec and, and evaluate, is this true? Where is this sourced? There, it's just, it's gonna be really tricky to do in this social media age war that we're going to face to actually view things very, um, making sure we're not falling into empty deceit, things that we shouldn't be looking for. Now, the thing is, is that, and, and just as Matthew was reminding us of the days we live, Timothy does the same thing. And 2 Timothy 3, he says this, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. He keeps going and says, for among those, and here's where we get called out, ladies, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. I encourage you to read this verse. Don't just go, so glad that's not me. But really meditate on, these, on this, this word right here. Because there's a couple things. We, now, I wanted to read that back that backstory to you, those first seven verses to you, because that's quite a list, right? That they'll be heartless, unappeasable, brutal. They won't love good. I mean, it's giving all of this list of things that we need to avoid, that we need to stay away from. And then it is followed up with, among them, among that whole list of people, are those who creep into households and capture weak women. So what is it meaning with this? You know, this is where I, when I read this and I think about the things that I can observe in our culture about, especially that part where it says, never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Uh, it's like, it is such a common saying today, do the work, ladies, do the work. 
You gotta do the work. You gotta keep learning. You gotta move on the journey. And it's all about the journey. And, and again, there's all kinds of sayings, some of which have some really good things to it, but they quickly divulge into something that is kind of 2 Timothy 3.7-ish. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That's, that's great if you're learning and you're looking at scripture to do things. But if you look to scripture, you're gonna arrive at the knowledge of truth. If you are studying other things and the other books and the, all the other things that tell you to do the work and you know, whatever you're supposed to be doing, well, those are the ones that often, you just are always learning. You're still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still, that's, again, good, but are you arriving at the knowledge of truth? The Bible gives us the knowledge of truth. So we need to be careful, because I always set up a little bit. Whenever I read something where, where scripture specifically calls out women, that's our lane, gals. We wanna go, okay, well, I don't wanna be a weak woman. I don't wanna be somebody that is given to empty deceit, that is given to all of that whole list of things and, and isn't astute and isn't paying attention to what's going on in our world, isn't living carefully. You're, you're a careful woman that is reading God's word is not going to be in that category. So be guarded though, but don't, don't just go, okay, well, I'm not that way. Make sure and how we make sure is just by getting back to the word and making sure that we're in that where we are arriving at the knowledge of the truth. That's not like, that's not an unattainable goal. The Bible spells it out. It's not like we can go, well, I just don't know if I'm actually, no, no, we get to know. Back in the New Testament, there were people that, and, and we see them today, and it's very, very present in the deconstruction movement, people that like, well, can you really know what the answer to that is? Can you really know what Jesus meant? Can you really know if there's a heaven? Can you really know if there's a hell? Yes, you can. It's in the, it's in the word. We don't have to sit there and ask those questions. In the New Testament, they were called Gnostics. Today, they're called deconstructionists. The Bible has words for those, and we, we know that we can arrive at that truth. So, Live carefully according to God's word. That is how we should live now. Psalm 119, 33 through 37 says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it and incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Give me life in your ways. How, how are we getting life in the ways? By his statutes, by keeping it, by getting understanding according to his law, by observing it. Psalm 119 is fantastic. It is hundreds of verses, 150 verses, all about the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. It's, it's, so, it's so simple. It's not hard. It's not like, I don't know how I'm going to arrive at truth. This is how you arrive at truth. You study the word, you know the word. It can be known. So how now shall we live? We need to live carefully. Don't, don't just, just be apathetic and go, oh, we'll just see. It'll be fine. Live carefully. The second thing I wanna say on how we should live is I think scripture tells us to live boldly. Joshua 1.9, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous and do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, go back into the Old Testament situation, read those stories, think of what they're facing. It's kind of easy to think, like not really put yourselves in their shoes. They probably weren't shoes, but you know what I mean, you know? Facing huge armies, facing huge obstacles that they felt really small to. 
Now, observing the conflict that's going on in the Middle East, you kind of do get more of a sense of that because you can see these thousands of people going against this tiny little country and you sort of get that Old Testament feeling of going, oh, okay, I can see how that would be really terrifying. And, and, but that's not what Moses, God was telling Joshua. He says, don't be frightened, don't be dismayed. We need to be reminded, don't be scared, don't be dismayed. One of my favorite verses, Isaiah 41.10. I liked it so much, we put it on a new mercies mug this year, last year. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay, notice it's not your righteous right hand. It's not somebody you look up to's righteous right hand. No, no, it's God's righteous right hand who is mighty. And he says, don't be, don't be afraid. So we are called, how now shall we live right now? We are called to live carefully. We're called to live boldly. Now, what is the other side of that boldness? Now, here's another passage where women, we get called out. Isaiah 32, nine says this. It says, rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters, give ear to my speech. Okay, New Testament, there was a group of weak women. Here we've got some complacent daughters, women that are just kind of doing their thing. They're getting their manicures, they're living life, everything's all good, we don't really have to worry about too much. I don't know, what's for dinner? They're living at ease, they're complacent. Now, little context here in this passage, if you back up in Isaiah, they're being warned, these gals, about that, that captivity's coming, and it's bad. It's, if you read in 32, verse 9, uh, verse 10, it says, in a little more than a year, you will shudder, you complacent women, for the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. Tremble, it then says, who are at ease, and shudder, you complacent ones. And it tells them to mourn. It tells them to grieve where they are at as a people. Not be at ease. So that's a pretty stark contrast to the one who is just kind of going about their life sort of apathetically. This is a little bit, if I could call out, and this is generally speaking, because I kind of get fascinated by reading generational studies, but Gen Z, this is something where we see this complacency a little bit that I think that we need to be sharpened against. Complacent means this, it says, marked by self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. And then I went ahead and threw in some synonyms because sometimes that helps me to also let these things stick. Unconcerned, smug, conceited. Now those make it sound really bad and oh, okay, I don't want to be complacent. But I just, I don't think we call complacency out today for really the yuck and the evil that it is. And we're warned there in Isaiah. He says, daughters that are complacent, don't be at ease. And, and it's, it's not trying to tell you to be overly, you know, cataclysmic about everything and overly dramatic and all of those things, but it is telling you to be bold, look up, be aware, don't be apathetic, don't be complacent, don't be in this place that you're not aware of the dangers that are around you. We need to be seeing what is happening as we try to live carefully, as we try to live boldly. In Revelation, this is how it's addressed to one of the churches. It says, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I see that as a contrast to boldness. Kind of the ones that they just don't wanna stir the pot too much, okay? I just don't like to cause conflict. I would say that is most of us as women. I'm sure there's like probably a 1% that's like, yeah, bring on the fight. But that's really not our jam for the most part, is it? We would really rather come in and out of a room and just be peaceable, 
make everybody happy and do all that. Now, again, that's something where you gotta challenge yourself by looking to the scriptures on what it means to be peaceable, okay? It doesn't mean you come in as a firebrand and just smack everybody around with your Bible, but, but truth, love, they have to go together. They should be gracious, they should be compassionate, but you must have the truth with the love. You know, Ephesians 13, or uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the, the, the love chapter, that we always wanna, well, love is patient, love is kind. That very last part, we love to leave that out, but it says, takes no, does not rejoice in wrongdoing. You cannot love someone and also say, I love the sin that you're doing. It's, you can't do that. That is not love. That's not adhering to a definition of what love really is. So to, to be biblical about this, to really look at it and go, man, how can I be bold with what God's word is saying? Don't picture boldness as brash and scary. Look at boldness biblically. But it doesn't mean to be so lukewarmies, to be just so like tepid. Nobody likes lukewarm coffee. It's gross. Okay, we want it hot or we want iced coffee, okay? But we don't want this stuff in the middle. Don't be the one in the middle. This is where we should be. Romans 12, 11, here's one. It says, so, or it says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. In the NLT, it says, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Enthusiasm. Man, that's like so different than just the, ill at ease or, you know, the ease and just kind of, I'm just going with the flow. No, with enthusiasm. That's the way we want to serve the Lord. Now, Paul in Acts, he was talking about how that is the same, that attitude, that zeal, that enthusiasm. That's how we want to be in proclaiming. He says in verse 31 of 28, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, but with boldness. Practice maybe yourself like saying boldness in some of these things, smiling with that enthusiasm, without hindrance. Because it really, it is something that I think we have to sort of practice boldness. You have to sort of get out of your comfort zone a little bit and push yourself to do these things. Romans 1.16 says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, sometimes this ashamed part, we wanna say, well, we're not necessarily, just because we don't wanna like say it all the time, we're not ashamed. Well, are you? See, if we think about what the gospel really means, and when we look at where the world really is, and just disaster, right? Sadness, brokenness, we know that the gospel is the thing that fixes that. It answers one of those worldview questions. How do we fix this? It's not fixed with psychology. It's not fixed with a little drug. It's not fixed with those things. It's ultimately, the, the state of our soul is fixed by the gospel of Jesus. So we can't, we don't, I know it's saying, don't be ashamed of that. In other words, just don't, don't give in to the hindrance, but be bold. Don't be ashamed. It is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Now, another in this category, and we've looked at this a little bit with the prayer study of being watchmen, Ezekiel, he would say that he was, he was called to be a watchman to the people, people of Israel. And Isaiah says this about watchmen. And I love these, these verses. It says in Isaiah, in Isaiah 62, verse six, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. 
They shall never be silent, you who put the Lord to remembrance and take no rest. You put the Lord to remembrance and take no rest. I love that line, I love it. Because if we think about if we're going to live boldly, we're going to be aware, heads up, not complacent, okay? Picture yourself on that wall for your home in your, with your, your family. You're watching for the dangers that are around you. Not that like ignoring the dangers that are there. No, you're aware. You're aware that dangers are coming, that they're all around us. And, and you're watching for them. But it says, as you're on that wall, you put the watchman there. It says, you will put the Lord in remembrance and take no rest. I think that one of the things that I love about that is that it's the Lord we're putting in remembrance, not any of our own strength, not any of our like, oh, I've done this, you know, this, this long checklist and prayed exactly the same way. It was all about all the things that I did and I sounded super spiritual. Put the Lord in remembrance. The Lord is the one that fights for us. Scripture tells us that. So when you're in that moment of going, I'm not real sure how to be very bold on this, on this wall, this actually tells you that, how to do that too by putting the Lord in remembrance and taking no rest. So how now shall we live? We want to live carefully. We want to live boldly. We also want to live prayerfully. Prayerfully. So we could just sit here and revisit the prayer study. Okay, it's only been six weeks. Philippians 4, six through seven says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have been studying this at length right now. And if you've not been joining us for the um, prayer study, it's never too late. All that stuff lives on the Athey Women YouTube channel. And it's just been such a sweet, sweet study to be able to just study what God's word says about prayer. And not just studying what it says, but then also doing what it says and just being women who pray. We want to right now, as we observe what's going on in our day right now, we want to live prayerfully. Because when we think of this, this verse, when it says, do not be anxious, that, that can feel a little bit challenging. But we've looked at this in the prayer study a lot. When you feel anxious, how do we not do that? It's by reminding ourselves who God is. You're always coming back to that. You're not, you're not coming back to what all the things that you're contributing to, the, to this equation. You're reminding yourself who God is. Even that, that verse we just read in Isaiah where it said, you know, bring the Lord into remembrance. That's how we don't be anxious. But it comes back to remembering who God is. And then that is, that's that filter that you're viewing your world through. You, are you gonna view your world through scripture and what, who he is? Or are you gonna view it through your newsfeed, right? But being prayerful about how we live. Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Watchful, okay? That's again, opposite of that complacent word. You can't be just not aware of the dangers, having your head down, but be watchful, but with thanksgiving. Jeremiah also says this, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Boy, talk about a right worldview right here. He will show you. When we prayerfully come to the Lord and, and he says, call to me, he says, I'll answer you, okay? I will pick up your call. And, and I'll tell you great and hidden things, things that are so beyond your understanding. Do you ask the Lord for that? When you open your Bible, do you say, Lord, would you show me things in your word? Because that's, that's the good stuff. 
The things that our little brains can kind of grasp onto when we read God's word is just that, it's our little brains. But when the Holy Spirit shows you things in his word, that is a powerful right worldview right there. He will show you what that should look like. The last thing on how we should live right now is we should live heavenly. Oh my goodness, should we live very heavenly minded. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is talking about our stuff. You know, he's talking about your, your, the things that you're collecting in this world that you value, but it's not just your stuff, right? Because we value all kinds of things. We treasure lots of things that aren't stuff. It might be your time. It might be, the, it might be people. But there's, there's things that can be good places we put treasure, and there's things that cannot be good. And the, the concept of having this heavenly mindset is, first of all, just knowing that there is a heavenly mindset to be had, you know, and not just being so, so focused on exactly what's here and all the bad news and all the terrible things. Having that heavenly mindset. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, there's a phrase where he says, he has put eternity into man's heart. God has done that. God has put eternity in our hearts. How come? He, he, he puts something, it's for a purpose. He's put eternity there so that, because he wants it to be there. He wants you to desire it. He wants you to know that it's not just here. There is an eternity to be had and that is the thing that he put there. It's a longing for something that is not here. And so as we view the things that we, this perspective is huge. C.S. Lewis said it this way, and I love this quote. I'm kind of on a C.S. Lewis like binge right now. I love this guy. If you read history, he said, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. It's such a great, poignant way to go, wow, am I so concerned about here and now that I'm not even being effective in it because I'm not looking at where we're going. We're, I'm not having that heavenly mindset. Colossians 3 says it this way. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. When Christ, who your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your minds on things that are above. That needs to be our focus. It, it's so interesting how, do you see how like there's a correlation in each of the things we've looked at. When we talk about looking up, being watchful, where's, where's your head at? Watching above keeping our eyes on the, where we're headed and not just in the here and now. It's always, you know, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe that there's Godowins. And this morning when I woke up this morning, I was reading in my Streams in the Desert little devotional. And I've had this book, well, as I was showing my mother-in-law this morning, she gave it to me back in 1997, before I was even married to her son at the time and she wrote in the, in the front of it. So I've been reading this one for a while. But on today's, October 21st, it's always interesting where it sometimes is exactly what you needed to see today. 
So it gave the verse of 2 Corinthians 5.1, and it says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. But then it tells this little story. And it says, the owner of a house I have lived in for many years has notified me that he will do little or nothing to keep it up in repair. He also advised me to be ready to move. At first, this was not very welcome news. In many respects, the surrounding area is quite pleasant, and if not for the evidence of a somewhat declining condition, the house seems rather nice. Yet a closer look reveals that even a light wind causes it to shake and sway, and its foundation is not sufficient to make it secure. Therefore, I'm getting ready to move. As I consider the move, it is strange how quickly my interest is transferred to my prospective new home in another country. I have been consulting maps and studying accounts of my inhabitants, and someone who has come from there to visit has told me that it is beautiful beyond description and that the language is inadequate to fully describe what he heard while there. He said that in order to make an investment there, he has suffered the loss of everything he owned here, yet rejoices in what others would call a sacrifice. Another person whose love for me has been proved by the greatest possible test now lives there. He has sent me several clusters of the most delicious grapes I have ever eaten, and after tasting them, everything here tastes very bland. Several times I have gone to the edge of the river that forms the boundary between here and there, and have longed to be with those singing praises to the king on the other side. Many of my friends have moved across that river, but before leaving here, they spoke of my following them later. I have seen them smile on their faces as they pass from my sight. So each time I am asked to make some new investment here, I now respond, I'm getting ready to move. I loved that little story, another little way of saying a perspective on viewing our little house right now. Wind blows and it kind of shakes a lot and we get all stirred up by things that, you know, should we focus on this, should we focus on this? But that heavenly mindset, that moving to the other country, maybe we just need to be, have that brain of going, I'm getting ready to move. I'm getting ready to move. Think about the things you do when you're moving. Well, first of all, many of you are like, I never want to move. Once you move, <laughs> you're like, no, I'm never doing that again. But if you were moving, and it actually would be true that you never had to do it again, well, then we might be signing up for that a little bit more, huh? being heavenly minded. So when we think of all of these things, I am hoping today it does feel encouraging because I think I felt like I needed encouragement from the word on how now shall we live as we look at each of these things carefully, boldly, prayerfully, heavenly. Really what we're talking about is biblically. Biblically, that's how we should be living. This world is complicated I could bore you and give you all kinds of philosophical discussions on different worldviews and different clashes of worldviews and there's complexity and there's nuance. Scripture's not complicated. There's truth, there's life, there's death, there's evil. It's all very clear and I like clear. But looking at our world biblically is what helps us direct this path. It helps us to live carefully. Carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do, we, we see this world and it's, it's wearisome, it's sad. And it's, it's easy to let ourselves just get so caught up in the evil that's around us that we can lose some of these perspectives that your word tells us that we need to not be complacent and we need to keep our heads up and we need to be looking for you. Lord, I, I pray that as gals, we would just be just so committed and devoted to what your word is telling us to do, that we would just unapologetically embrace your scripture, your truth, that we would obey no matter what. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be like those women in the Old Testament that were complacent, that were just good with, with just their comfortability of their life, Lord, but that they would be seeking to do even as Jeremiah talked about and seeking the welfare of those around them, that we would be observant to the things that are happening, but with a biblical observation, not as the rest of our world who feels like there is no fix to what we have going on here, but we know the answers, we know the fix, and we know, Jesus, that you are coming back. So Lord, I just pray that you would encourage the gals in your word. I pray that as they have opportunity to speak with people that either are believers or those that are not, that they would not be ashamed of the gospel. Lord, these are days that we need to make the most of these opportunities, Lord, with our family members, with our neighbors, with people we don't know. May they see the light of Jesus in us. And, and Lord, would that contrast just be, just be so stark between what the world is offering, Lord. And we pray that in these last days that many would come to you, Lord. Until that day, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get too comfy, but I pray, Lord, that we would just be looking for you and, and that we would have joy even in our hearts, even in the midst of tribulation, knowing, Lord, that you are the one that is mighty and you are the one that saves us with your righteous right hand, Lord. We just cannot wait to see you someday. So Lord, would you just encourage us, keep us faithful in your word, Lord. And would we just walk in this way? Would we walk carefully as you would instruct us to? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.